It is the big show. Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It is time to talk to the coach. His interview each and every week is brought to you by our friends at Divi, the modern financial platform for business. See how you can spend smarter at GetDivi.com. Out to the Smart Rain special guest line we go. Of course, he is the coach. Coach Gordon Chiesa with us here on The Big Show. What's going on, Coach? Jake, I'm doing well. Thank you. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Thanks for jumping on with us, as always. Uh, preseason rolls on for the Utah Jazz. It is game night here on, on the station. Coach, uh, give us your takeaway after last week and what you saw in the first two preseason games. Well, the first thing is that they're playing so many guys, meaning the Jazz. So there's, there's very little uh, as far as fluidity. But starting tonight with the last two games versus the Pelicans and Wednesday versus the Bucks, a lot, a lot of the players that will play a few more minutes to try to get consist, uh, some consistency and also as far as ball movement, help defense, talking, etc. So it should be good tonight's game. I'm impressed by the two young guys that the Jazz have invested with. Jared Butler, age 21. He's Jake. He's played well. Yep. Averaging 19 points a game, 45% uh, as far as field goal percentage, and three assists. I call him, uh, Jake, old-school fundamentals with an airborne game that he played really under control the way he plays. But once he starts flying to the basket, he's very, very talented. And then also, Yudoka Azabuki, the big guy, he's averaging 11 rebounds a game. So that's absolutely impressive. That's his job, to rebound, to patrol the lane as far as defensively, and that short corner spacing be a law pass a threat option. So both those guys have played well for the Jazz. Now the real, now the, now the real team, as far as uh, trying to c- come together collectively, starts tonight. So I want to ask you a little bit more about Butler, if I could. Um, he's been great. I don't think there's any doubt about it. What If there is a role for him on this team as you see the roster, Coach, what role would that be? He would be like, he's a guard. He's not really a point guard. He's not really a, a two guard. He's a guard, and that's a compliment. So in other words, it's, he's, um, he can enter the ball offensively, so his role would be quasi-backup point guard or quasi two guard so when he's in the game he's almost positionalist and that's that's good in a way unless you're really old school you know point guard pass happy he does pass the ball but he's such he's such a good scorer that you don't want him to try to only pass the ball you want him to make plays off the dribble and that's what he does very well so his role should be sometimes point guard sometimes off the ball Last year, one of the issues that we saw was when Michael Conley was out of the lineup or even Joe Ingles uh, at times last year or Donovan Mitchell, the Jazz were short on guys who could initiate the offense coach and could beat their guy off the dribble. So I kind of thought, you know, if if Jared Butler turns out to be a player, you know, heaven forbid if one of those ball handlers were to miss and maybe it's Michael Conley not playing back-to-backs or something like that, that might be an opportunity for him – uh, in a role the Jazz were lacking a little bit last year. No doubt. The answer is yes. He will play. He's a talented guy. Pick number 40 in the draft. He had that heart issue. He's, he got clearance from the NBA team doctors, and the Jazz took a number 40. He's a talented guy, and he's only 21 years young, so he is part of the future as they go forward. He will play this year. 
he'll get minutes on the court. And especially you mentioned about with Mike Conley not playing those back-to-back games and there was early foul trouble or sickness or injury. He's out, he's in the game. Also, let's not forget, Trent Forrest also. Yep. He's a two-way player as far as contractually, but he's got game. He's got bounce to his, uh, to his frame. And he can play in the NBA also. So the Jazz have these two, basically, Jake, underrated performers that can play in the league. And by the way, their contract so far is relatively tame. Uh, Coach Gordy Chiesa with us here on the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We only got to see a game of Hassan Whiteside. Coach, he didn't play on Wednesday, but uh, what were your initial impressions of him? What he does is that he's a, a shot blocker as far as presence. He, uh, he can patrol the lane defensively, and he's, he's a recipient scorer, meaning when his dribble penetration and the guy the guarding uh, Hassan, the penetration steps up to the ball, he's a law pass option over the top so that he can, he'll score off someone else's plays, and that's what he does right now. It's a, again, from Jazz fans, it's a one-year contract. Uh, July 1st, it could be a do-over or it could be an addition, depending how he plays, how the rest of the roster, as far as uh, happens, and also um, the development of uh, Yudoka Azabuki. That's all part of the, uh, the string right now. The Jazz have three centers. They need all three. They're all going to play sometimes during the season with Rudy Gobert leading the charge. Seems like uh, from from uh, statements from coaches and the the vibe coming out of uh, the franchise coaches, they're going to do everything they possibly can to uh, put themselves in the best position to be healthy at the end of the year. That was obviously an issue last year, and we talked about maybe Mike Conley sitting um, during uh, during back to backs. How much how much of that injury risk can you mitigate, and how much of it is just circumstance and the risk playing the game? A lot of it is your body frame. That's the first thing. So Mike Conley, by the way, Jake, let's wish a, a shout-out to Mike Conley. Today's his 34th birthday. Oh, all right. Mike Conley. And, yeah, Jake, I, I remember when you were 34 also, my dad, as far as the subplot, if you get my drift. <laughs> I do. So with that said, is that you want to rest the players, especially – a guy's body frame or just give him a, uh, you know, just like any business. Oh, by the way, boss, I need a day off. Now, I know they're getting paid a lot of money. I get it. But there's so much physical wear and tear on your lower parts of your body. So giving him a day off, meaning Mike Conley or even like Joe Ingles or even Rudy, Rudy Gobert, because your point is absolutely right on that you want to be playing at a high level with minus direct injuries when you when the playoffs start. So the Jazz will do that. The Jazz are smart people. They'll give these guys uh, calculated rest. Also, let's not forget, how about resting every once in a while, Boyan Bondanovich. See, no one ever talks about him. But also is that he's a guy that's, uh, he's, 30, he's 32 years old. So he might need some rest also because Jazz need him in playoff games, Jake, to get 20-something points a game and be a knockdown shooter. What was John and Carl's secret, Coach? Those two were Iron Men, man. They played every game. Injury, you know, was not an issue for both of them for the majority of their career. What was their secret? And the secret was that they were unbelievable in condition. And again, the world has changed. So back then, you know, in yesteryear, meaning what, 1980s and 90s and 2000, it was a badge of courage, especially in jazz basketball. And let's add to this, is that John and Carl always practice. So it's very rare, and it was sometimes in practice where uh, Jerry and I and Phil John, he's at the big John Stockton, John, do not practice in these drills. We used to hold him out of drills because we said to him, you've mastered the drills, to say the least. 
and to get more, give someone else more reps, but we want to rest, again, your lower body. What those guys did was that they ate properly, they rest properly, and both of them were able, they played the game on the ground. Yeah, Carl went over the top with those hammer dunks, but as the years went on, he played the game more on the ground. And John Stockton, I've seen him dunk and pray. John used to dunk and practice once a year to show the young fellows that he has hops. But John never dunked any game, meaning this, is that he played the game on the ground so there's less possibility of crashing and hurting your body not to play. Just generally speaking, now Donovan Mitchell might be someday, not right now, now he's too, too young and a fellow, but as Donovan goes years later out, we'll say when he's 30-something years old, very similar to Michael Jordan and the late great Kobe Bryant, they learn how to play the game some of the time on the ground versus all the time up in the clouds. So, Coach, this is not jazz-related, but uh, you spent a long time in the league seeing stuff behind the scenes as a personnel guy as well. And uh, the story today coming out of Philadelphia is that Ben Simmons and his agent Rich Paul are negotiating, so to speak, uh, his return to the team where he's just been sitting out and demanding a trade. The Sixers have him under contract long term, so it's not like they have to do anything. But I found that interesting that uh, that Ben Simmons is working on a return. I'm just curious to your thought about the whole story. Well, the first in the story is that his numbers that he's, he, he's missing per game starting October 4th. So it's happened already. $227,000 a game he's missing. And just think about it, Jake, in the real world, what that would do for so many people as far as getting that money. It would be a life-changing for many, many, many citizens in the world. So it's troubling that he's sitting out. Now, he's, they're trying to force a trade. Now, the question is that the Sixers held firm to their beliefs. They couldn't get them equal value or almost almost a, a dollar to dollar on it is that they're going to try to bring him back and try to repatch the relationship. Now, again, he's an all-star player, and a lot of it's besides the front office and the fans. Oh, by the way, it's your teammates. How did they feel that they that he abandoned them because he's saying philosophically that I don't think that my team is good enough to, to win the championship, so I'm going to move on and prove to somebody that I can have my own team and win the championship. So far, it hasn't worked out. So it's all part of the NBA drama offseason. Remember, Jake, we, over the years, you talk about this often, is that offseason, the agents really drive so much of the dialogue. In season, meaning starting uh, next, next uh, Wednesday and the season starts, the agents are not as involved because their clients, meaning the players, are actually playing the game. So far, their agents involved to the ultimate. You know, Coach, I, I'm the type of person who can enjoy an awkward moment, but I, I, if, uh, if being in the room as Ben Simmons goes back into that locker room saying that he would rather play anywhere else in the league in the offseason, oh, man, that's going to be an awkward moment. Very much. I mean, so, again, I'm trying to be objective. So, Joel Embiid, that guy's good. Yeah. He's an oh, that guy is absolutely a franchise type player, and also uh, Seth Curry, knockdown shooter, and uh, Danny Green, solid veteran. Tobias Harris, George Niang now is there as far as former Jazz man. Uh, the young guy we, we like, Jake, you and I, McTeese Tybal, that he's a good defensive player. Shake Milton. So they have a good team. Unfortunately, they got knocked out in the playoffs, 
and that's how you're judged. It's absolutely accrual. When you're, a, you're an elite player that's making a whole bunch of money, and that's part of it. So here's Ben Simmons' contract for the listeners right now on 1280 The Zone. This year he makes $33 million. The 22-23 season he makes $35.4 million. The 23-24 season he makes $37.8 million. And the last year of his contract is the 24-25 season he makes $40.3 million. So that's what the Sixers haven't invested in him. Oh, by the way, I don't want to play here. It doesn't work that way. Is the uh, the favorite team in the East, is that going to hinge upon whether or not Kyrie Irving makes himself available by getting vaccinated? It would certainly help right now with Kyrie uh, being there because Jake's talking about uh, Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. Now, so now Kyrie right now, Again, here's the, the math of it. And I, when I say this, I say this so sadly because we know there's so many people that are under du- uh, duress as far as financially. So if Kyrie, he misses, um, he's missed so far the October 4th the season started as far as the games. Each game he misses, he, he loses in pay $351,000. Mm. So if he misses the 41 home games, which in New York City, you have to be vaccinated to, uh, to be able to play in an NBA game, it's $16.6 million. Then, Jake, the two road games versus Knickerbockers in NYC, he'll miss 782000 So totally, he's going to miss roughly over $17 million if he doesn't get vaccinated. But also, that's, that's the math of it. The team, as far as the team standpoint, is that it does affect the team in the locker room. It's so intimate. Just think about it, like any business, well, the, uh, that the 12, the 12 to 15 players in the locker room and the coaches and the trainers. So just say for, for the discussion point, there's 20 people around each other all day long for basically seven, eight, nine months. And then one of them who's a key member is not there and then he comes back, or he's going to be here or not here, it does affect the mental part, even though the stock line is that we're moving on without him, or we love you, dog, please come back. But that's the outward line. But in the locker room where it's intimate, where you're trying to win that game that night, there's a, there'll be a lot of different dialogue. So Coach Lloyd and I were joking uh, last week and coming back to the Jazz here for a minute that, uh, you know, in the preseason, teams aren't necessarily trying to win. And every year, you know, uh, fans will say, oh, the team went uh, undefeated in the preseason or, oh, they didn't win a game in the preseason. And it doesn't seem it doesn't turn out to matter one bit into what we see in the in the regular season. So let me ask you this from a coaching standpoint, what are most coaches looking to accomplish in the preseason? They're looking to try to see the young guys if they can play in the second unit as far as um, defensively, of knowing the coverages and schematically. From the starter's point of view, they're looking at what's the best combination in case someone got injured or if they set out a guy in a back-to-back game. So basketball is this most unbelievable sport where the ball moves and the players move and you take one person out of that equation it affects the group either negative or positive or maybe double players out of the equation so in case of an injury 
who can play with who. That's amazing. In jazz basketball, I just described Joe Ingles. Joe is, has a rare ability to play with all kinds of people. Oh, Joe can play with big guys. He can play with small guys. Oh, by the way, I can pass the ball. By the way, I make rainbow threes. And by the way, that when it comes down to uh, swagger, I got it. I had that Aussie swagger to make plays under duress. And that's what makes Joe such an important player in jazz basketball. So consistency, trying to develop your depth right now, and trying to forecast in case of a rainy day. Coach, I understand, as always, you have a list for us today. Yeah, we do, Jake. This list today is the Utah Jazz franchise leaders in career-made three-point shots. Korea-made threes, but only wearing a jazz uniform. So some of these guys play other teams. That's not, that's not the part of this list. The top ten, here we go. Tied for nine, Rodney Hood. And remember when Hotbed screamed this name out all the time, Horny from three? <laughs> Jeff Hornacek and Rodney Hood, ninth and tenth, tied, made threes, 439. In eighth place, his nickname was D-Will, with 5'11", Darren Williams. In seventh place, his nickname was Money. He's the best range shooter, big man, in Utah Jazz franchise history. Absolutely tremendous shooter and performer with 517 made triples, Mehmet Okor. Number six, with 530, nickname was Dr. Duncanstein in transition. He used to take a, a moon-arcing three-point shot, Dal Griffith. Number five, nickname was B. Russ. He made 540 trifectors. Brian Russell, number four, with 689 all-time threes, Gordon Haywood. Number three, he's going to play tonight. My instincts tell me that someday in jazz folklore, he'll be number one by far as far as most made threes. Donovan Mitchell, third all-time currently, with 726 made threes. Number two, we used to beg him to shoot more because when he shot, it always went in. He's second all-time greatest jazz three-point shooter with 845 made threes. He's a career 38.4 three-point shooter when three-point shots weren't fashionable. You know him, John Stockton. And number one, the lefty southpaw from Australia with a, with a golden arm. He's the all-time leader in jazz history of most ever made three-point shots with 933. And by the way, he's shooting 41.4 from threes. And let's point this, Jake. Let's question Lloyd right now as far as, and you, what is the distance of the corner NBA three? All right, Lloyd, what do you think? Oh, jeez. Coach, you got me stumped. All right. I'm trying to remember. what. Uh, what Jake, it... I'm so glad you and Lloyd aren't scientists. Me rocket too. Rocket scientists. Because we, we'd be going to the wrong planet right now. That's... <laughs> I'm so happy you guys didn't major in engineering, engineering. Oh, man. It would be real trouble. All right. Corner three for the listeners is 22 feet. All right. Jake, how about the arc out three, the arc extended three-point line? Uh, let's say it's got to be longer, right? So 24? Jake, I'm so happy you're not an engineer, Jake. I'm so happy. It's 23.9 inches. 23.9? Okay. That's a big difference. That is a big difference. 23.9. And Lloyd, I'm so happy that you're behind the mic right now versus you in NASA right now in Houston, Texas. Yeah, who knows where we'd end up, Coach? We'd be ending right now probably in Pluto. Big trouble. Or the sun. Yeah, we'd be in big trouble. 
Uh, you know, the coach, that list is interesting because that that list is going to be a lot like, I think, passing yards in the NFL. Yes. Where the, the game has just changed so much. The numbers of, of made and attempted threes. Uh, I mean, it's it's just a different world than when it was, what, 10, 15 years ago. Very much. He had a three-point shot, absolutely revolutionized the game, and it makes a team, it's a common denominator with teams, either making them or defending them. Yeah. Well, Coach, it's always, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, Jake. Peace out. Thanks, Coach. That's our good friend, Coach Gordon Chiesa. Uh, joins us each and every Monday here on The Big Show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We'll keep the jazz train rolling. Coming up next, we'll let you hear a little sound from Shoot Around. Stay tuned. Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver. Right now, easy to say Alabama and Georgia are literally in a league of their own. But the rest of that pack, that 128 other teams, BYU is the playoff viable team, and they genuinely believe that. And so to go out there and to know you can put your third-string quarterback in and just decide, yeah, we're just going to run all over this team, that is completely game-changing. And to be honest with you, I don't see that really changing over the next five, six, seven years because of the momentum going into the recruiting pickup, the Big 12, all these different aspects that now BYU is playing. It's going to be very hard not to see BYU as a top 25 team for the next 10, 12 years. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. You belong to the gang. And you say you can't break away, but I'm here with my hands on my heart. And I found Band of the day today, the Decemberists. Did I say that right, Lloyd? Selected by our guy Scott Gerard, brought to you by Live Nation Concerts. For the latest tour news and artist insight, go to LiveNation.com. We're going to talk to our guy, Frank Dolce, coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Tanner Mangum at 5, so we'll go from a youth quarterback, former youth quarterback, to a former Cougar quarterback. But right now, let's continue to talk a little Utah Jazz basketball. It is game night at the station. Pre-game begins at 6. Tip-off coming your way uh, a little after 7 o'clock as the Jazz take on the Pelicans. And uh, David Locke and Ron Boone will have all the action for you, of course. And just a little update if you were with us at the beginning of the show. His broadcast assistance meeting is still going on. Very thorough, our guy David. Now, usually he has these uh, these meetings earlier in the before the before the season. It seemed like I remember. I don't know. Well, they didn't. Uh, we didn't have broadcast assistance on our first couple of broadcasts. So they true. Just here and yeah, just getting there. the crash course. Yeah, getting the crash course. You know, it's it's good seeing the. You know. The starry eyes of getting ready to, you know, get into this business. If if Locke were a college professor, how do you think that'd go? If he was a college professor, like how? What do you mean? I feel like he'd really like it. Okay. Like standing in front of everybody and and tell them, telling them how it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I think he would like it. I think he would be a pretty good college professor. Now, if he were like a like a high school teacher, or heaven forbid, a junior high teacher, rough. Uh, no, 
college, yes. There'd be a lot of, let, let's put it this way. If, if Locke were a junior high teacher, there'd be a lot of detentions given out. A lot of them. Why am I seeing like a, a spitball cannon shooting at David Locke in, and then high, a, in junior high? An explosion of uh, emotion. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, should we hear from Joe Ingles? Joe Ingles uh, was available for shoot around today. Let's uh, go ahead and listen to that. Joe, what's it going to be like? Um, is, is there an advantage in finally having everyone basically available to play tonight and against you know an opposing team rather than just you guys going at it in practice? Yeah, um, it's obviously nice to to be able to know, like know we're playing someone else and not beating each other up at practice all the time and. Um, Obviously, with our team bringing a majority of us back as well. Um, obviously, similar things that we, we we're going to play the same way you know, in a lot of areas, but obviously some new things as well. So just being being able to get out there and again do it against somebody else instead of um, our our same guys would be nice. And um, yeah, just to get back out there again with these guys. Obviously, from my point of view too, um, not playing the first two and um, get back out there, get get used to. This again, um, different teammates, or not diff- different from the summer. Um, but yeah, looking looking forward to it. Even though it's just preseason, is it, has it been hard, like sitting out those first few games? Yeah, I hate sitting out, obviously. Um, but again, obviously with the the medical team and coach and, and all of that, they, they have a plan. And um, again, I, they know a lot more about that stuff than I do. So whatever they say goes. And um, obviously it was... It was nice to, to watch the guys play as well and, and still be around the team, but obviously being out there is very different. So, um, yeah, I'll go hang out with the kids for a bit and then come and hang out with these kids for a bit this afternoon. Joe, in the first... What's the level of importance? You knew we had the next question, there, buddy. I didn't know that. Sorry. <laughs> what's, the, what's the level of importance for you guys um, for the close out this this week? You know, just... Yeah, I think, again, this kind of score is what it is. Obviously, winning is nicer than, than losing no matter when it is. But, um, yeah, just, just what you, you said, executing on both ends of the floor, getting through the, the stuff that we've been beating each other up on. Obviously, again, there's there's some similarities of how we're going to play, but there's going to be some, some things that we've worked on and changed. And, um, obviously with some a couple of new players and and getting Rudy back eventually and, and all that. So um yeah, I think for us it's more the the execution of, of what we're doing is it's about us right now, um, for, for these next two games and whatever it is, ten days leading into this. And then obviously as we we get going into the regular season, the uh the scouting of, of who we're playing and, and obviously what we did last year in the regular season, we, we know teams will be ready for us and, and coming to get us, and um, we have to be ready every every night we play. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fit brand for you here. So you are the number one effective field goal percentage shooter in the NBA over the last like five six seasons in the first seven seconds of the shot clock. Is that surprising? Not surprising. So how do you weigh? getting out early and running and getting those early, usually threes compared to coming back to the ball, playing with the ball in your hands. How do you weigh those two things that you do equally well, but are need very different things? 
Um, well, uh, I mean, a big part of that is obviously personnel on, on who I'm out there with. Um, if I'm out there with, with Mike or, or Donovan, they're going to do majority of the, the handling. Um, again, vice versa, if I'm under the hoop and they're taken off, then, then I'll, I'll obviously bring it up. So, um, yeah, depending on who I'm out there with, um, I mean, I'm, coach can never tell me off a shooting in the first seven seconds then, can he? That's, that's a hell of a, uh, an argument I can have with him. Um, yeah, I mean, it just, it really depends. Obviously, if I've got the ball, I, I'm probably more um, stronger favoured to, to try and get someone else involved and, and try and run something to, to get the ball to someone else. Um, I know Mike and Donovan, all our guards, um, will kick it up and, and throw it ahead if I'm open. Um, and obviously some stuff we've got in early offence to, to kind of get some shots and some early shots in the clock. So, um if I'm open, I'm going to shoot it and I'm going to take a good shot. I'm not going to force it, um, which is the same thing I've said for forever, however long. But um, yeah, obviously at the end of the day for, for me, it's it's playing within our system and, and how we play. And if the shot comes, I'm going to shoot it. If not, I'll pass it. So, um, obviously, you guys have kind of set it almost impressive because of the importance of the three-point shot. Is that the same priority or is it even more of a priority the attempts this year? What have you guys talked about as far as maybe a number you want to try to get up? Um, we haven't spoken about a number. I'm sure the coaches in the room that they sit in have probably more or less kind of spoken about that or ideas. Um, I think for our team, we started, I think coaches said it a few times, but we almost started this trend of like the, the way we played in the bubble um, playing a bit quicker and shooting more, trying to shoot more threes. And even as players, it takes some time getting used to that shooting in the first seven. I don't know how many times I would have done that the first three or four years of my career compared to the last three or four. So, um, and then that next year after the bubble, um, which is still feels like we're in the same, the same year, really. Um, probably a bit more confident within the play, like ourselves doing that, running, shooting in transition, shooting early, kicking ahead and shooting threes, which we, we again, hadn't done for, for my career here anyway. So um, I think the more we got comfortable with it, um, we realized how effective it was. And obviously on the other side of us shooting a lot of threes is the offensive rebounding. And we've got a, our Spanish um whatever he is, numbers guy, Serge, that, that tells us all the stats on that. And we play really well and we're really effective when we shoot a lot of threes and when we offensive rebound because we're going to usually rebound it and throw it back out for another three. <laughs> um, so obviously the for coach to first bring that up in the bubble and for us to kind of buy into that because it was a different way to how we played for so long. Um, and then just to get confident doing that and offensive reading, kicking out and shoot another one. If we get it, we're going to shoot another one. Um JC is probably the best example to not giving a F about how many, <laughs> how many times we offensive rebound and shoot a three. Um, but obviously it's, it's been an effective way for us and we're going to keep doing that. Um, I don't know about a number, but I'm going to try and get some more up. I don't know what I shot last year, but I'll try and try and beat it if I can. Do you track player movement in the off season? Like, or do you have gotten Do I? Yeah. yeah. Well, so like when you see a team like the Pelicans that has had... Oh, I thought you meant movement. my movement on the court. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell that is. Are you like surprised by players who are on rosters or not on rosters anymore? Or do you have a good sense of that during the offseason? Um, you get a bit of it. 
Uh, I still remember in, at the Olympics, someone asked me about our team and I actually had no idea who we'd signed or traded or whatever we'd done at that point. Um, obviously, if you're in the summer and you've got the summer off, um, not doing anything, then it's a bit easier to kind of see what's going on. And I didn't see much until I, I'd got back home and you kind of see things pop up. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, part of it's surprising part of it you you know like in the regular season guys want to get out and they're probably not going to go back to their team but you find out at whatever time it is that they have moved teams so um yeah it's an interesting uh world the nba you, you mentioned surge i'm curious kind of how that works from your point of view is it like him going to the coaching staff it goes to you or is it he notices something and comes to you like how does that i think a bit of both um obviously a bit more influence in the coaches meeting because it's a bit easier to tell the We've probably got more coaches and players actually, but um, he also he, he will also come to me on the side and say, "Hey, if you get that, or if I pass up a shot, you, if hey, you shoot that really well, or, or whatever it is." So um, a bit of both, and I think a part of that too is that fine line of just finding the balance of how much you want to tell someone and how much we just have to have a feel of of playing the game as well. So um, again, I'm not going to take a horrible shot from the corner just because I shoot well in the first seven seconds or whatever it is. So finding that fine line, but um, yeah, he's a, he's a hell of a step, man. He's got more stats than you lot. Yes, he does. <laughs> and yes, he is incredible. Let me get back to the 3.2. What mistake, yeah, what mistake does in a three-day game? 69, 69. Coach said that the other day. 69. Does that take away the flow of the game? Like, what does that do for the game? I mean, if you make a lot of them, it's it's great for the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's tough, obviously. If uh, and they probably, you guys probably know, but they were probably one of the first teams that really them in Houston were the first kind of two teams to really start pinging up a few more threes than, than what was um, normal in the NBA. And um, a lot of teams, I think, have played quicker and faster since that. Um, the n- number itself, like we, we've had, I remember last year, we've had games where coach would come in and say, hey, we shot X amount of threes and we were surprised by shooting that many. Um, so I think in the flow of the game, like I know myself and, and we're not thinking about how many were shooting. If it's a good shot, coach wants us to take it. So there's not even a second thought in your mind to, to really hesitate. Um, again, you do get surprised sometimes with, with the number. Sometimes it's a, a little amount that we're like surprised. We, we felt like we were shooting more than we actually shot in the game. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, the flow of the game can be affected so many different ways. I think if you're taking good shots and the shots that your team wants you to shoot, uh, I think that's, that's obviously the flow that they want to play with. That's how they play. That's how they've played for, for a long time. So um, we'll try and beat it at some point. I'll try and beat it. There you go. That's Joe Ingles, Jazz, Pelicans tonight. Uh, most of the Jazz team should be back. No uh, Rudy Gay, but most everybody should be available tonight. How much they'll play? I'm not so sure, but we should get a good look at everybody. Where last Wednesday's game, nobody played against Dallas, except for really Jordan Clarkson, but most of the rotational players out. That should not be the case tonight against the Pelicans. Pre-game coverage, Tim Lacombe is going to be in the house. That starts at 6 o'clock, so tune in for that. Tip off a little after 7. 
and uh, Lockaboon will have all of the action for you right here on the Zone Sports Network. Coming up next, we'll have a market update at 4. Frank Dolce is going to be on the show. Tanner Mangum will join us at 5. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time for a market update brought to you by our friends at TridayTrading.com. Now, anyone can be a day trader. Visit TridayTrading.com. Not a good day on the old markets today. Let's see. The Dow Jones down 250 points. S&P 500 down 30. And the NASDAQ down 93 points. So not... It's a good thing I moved my money in other places. The best day. I shifted. Did you? Yes. That's good. I saw it coming. I'm glad, Lloyd. I'm glad you you saw it coming. Hey, did you see that? Uh, and I've got to look. Uh, I've got to look more into this. But did you see that the the uh, the? Do not bring up the Panther story, please. No, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. Gonna, okay, good. I'm not. Gonna I was like, oh that man. Up. You know, I just don't understand. <laughs> I just don't understand some people. I got to tell you, need a little privacy. Yeah. Oh man, just just the game's not going to last forever. Maybe just wait, wait until you're somewhere else. No, this uh, this uh, super fan. I guess he's uh, got some notoriety. A Chiefs fan. His name is X Factor, and he got uh, he got knocked out uh, during the Chiefs game as they just got smeared by the uh, by the Bills. By the way, but I I don't know, Lloyd, and I, I guess I've brought this up a couple of times. It. Do you think there's something going on in the world why we're seeing more fights at sporting events? Or is it just the fact that it's being filmed and then more people are paying attention? Filmed. Because apparently people, everybody breaks out their phone to film out everything. But that can't be a literally new, everything. That can't be a new phenomenon, though, no. I mean, because there's been able to do that for a long time. Now. Yeah, but I think, but I, I think people have learned there's a way to get a little bit of 15 minutes of fame, getting more of that. And I and I get it; it's kind of been around, but I feel like there's just I don't know. But sure, yeah, I guess it's, it's it seems like there, it does seem like there's more of it. I don't seems know why. Like there's a new couple of fights from every weekend of football, doesn't it? <sighs> Those kids. But I don't, I don't know I don't if know. this is like this is one of those things, Lloyd, where the world is on edge right now, and there, thus there are more fights. I don't know. 
Could be. But it seems to me, I, I just think maybe we're paying more attention to it. Like the fights were always there and probably always being recorded, but now it's become like a phenomenon. Yeah. I, I don't have an explanation for I'll it. I'll tell you what I don't it's understand weird. is sports and fights at sporting events. I, I don't get that. No, I don't. I don't love my team that much to to want to fight another fan base or member of another fan base. But in base. this case, like, it's, it's so weird. It's two Chiefs fans or two Chiefs fans, whatever. Like, I don't know. But of course, hey, that's coming from a Raiders fan, and I think Raiders fans they fight all the time. See, I that's think. the thing. The Raiders uh, have been notorious over yeah. the years for having so fights I don't know. in the stands. I guess I'm not one to talk about it. But um, it, it, has that rep followed them to Vegas? I wonder. They've only had a couple of games with fans. Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. I'd rather not talk Raiders right now. But we we see very few fights here at the arena. It does happen at, at Vivint Arena. It does happen maybe a couple times a year. And usually security is pretty on it. And that's the other thing. Why are, you, why are you fighting at a sporting event? You know you're just going to get... It's not going anywhere. It's just going to get broken up, well, you hope, by security. And uh, then you're you're not going to be able to come to the games anymore. See, now I'm, I'm on the lookout for, like, you see these fights start, like, they kind of start to el- escalate a little bit. And I'm on the lookout for the agitator, the one, like, the woman that's going to throw the drink to really oh, get it yeah. egged on. That was one that happened earlier this year where like, the, there's the a fight lot, was you, over. You until keep an eye on it. Lyle. You keep an eye on these these things, and there's that person is there that's egging it on a little bit more. That's the person from Batman that just wants to see the world burn. Yes. The one who's on the outside and just kind of buy it and then lights the fuse and then steps aside. Yep. That's the person that should get arrested. They should. Yes. And I don't wonder if anything ever happened to that woman, but that, that, that Chargers fan, that woman should have been prosecuted. Absolutely. The fight was not going to happen. The guy had turned around and was walking away. Walking away. And he gets blasted with a drink and turns around swinging. And she just... And that's going to get anybody to fight. Yeah, that's not good. You ever gotten a fight at a sporting event, Lloyd? You ever? No. No? No. I just, maybe I'm not likes to fight guy, so I don't get in many fights myself, but I just don't. At what point does somebody think like, I'm being ridiculous right now. I'm about to get in a fist fight at a sporting event. I'm going to get filmed and uh, and plastered all over the internet as a, as a moron. Yeah, I just don't. I don't understand it. It makes no sense. Especially, I, the, especially the two fans of the same fan base fighting. But I do. I I have had acquaintances that are likes to fight guy, and I just don't understand the mentality. I had one buddy that was getting in a bar fight a weekend. It felt like it was like that's what they were going out to do. Yeah, you might want to start hanging out with a different buddy. <laughs> He's actually a really good guy. I'm sure, but just, that's not always that fun to be around. Got into his fair share of bar fights. I talked. I I told you about the guy speaking. We talked to uh, Scotty about Fremont Street, the Fremont Street experience. I had a buddy on a bachelor party who tried to fight the pit boss at one of those hotels, and it's like, yeah, that's going to end poorly. You know, you're that's going to be really bad for you. Have you not seen the movies? Have you seen the cooler? <laughs> See what happens. There's this really great movie, Casino. That uh, that yes. kind of gives you a little insight on how uh, establishments like this deal with things. Fight with that pit boss. That's a bad decision. <laughs> Hit on the pit boss's wife. Bad decision. Even worse. Yeah. Exactly. Steer clear of that. All right. Coming up next.
Frank Dolce is going to join the show. We'll talk to the former Ute quarterback. Tanner Mangum will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour as we continue to talk a lot of college football on the show. Pre-game coverage for Jazz and Pelicans begins at 6. It's all straight ahead here on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.